Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Diversity on Fire. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply and act with more understanding and compassion. We'll do this by sharing our open conversations on all types of diversity-related topics. This is Heather. This is Nina. And we have a special guest with us today that is a co-hosting this episode with us in our roundtable. Would you like to introduce yourself, Ben? Sure. My name is Ben Smith. I really appreciate being here. Thanks. Cool. And actually, um, our theme this month uh, coming into April is ableism. So we have talked to several people, Nina being one, dun, dun, dun about uh, challenges that they have, but also, Ben, you are uniquely qualified to be in this discussion with us as well. Do you want to tell everybody what you do? Yeah, I spent three and a half years uh, teaching in the public schools uh, in a behavior-focused program. So uh, basically, it was kids that had behavior issues. Uh, They were sent to our school and to my class specifically because they had issues with their behaviors and uh, were that sometimes were disruptive, sometimes were violent um, towards themselves and to others. And so um, had a lot of a lot of experience dealing with folks of different abilities. What would that be called? Like if there's parents listening, would you have been a guide? Is it an aide? Is it a counselor? I was a teacher. Oh, you were a teacher? Okay. Yep. Um, I taught uh, again, my focus was on uh, behavior issues. Uh, it ended up the last couple years, a lot of kids that were on the autism spectrum were in my classroom, a majority of my kids. Um, so a wide range of abilities, a wide range of talents, a wide range of challenges as well. But they all go into your classroom. And so that's something that's different than what most teachers deal with generally because all of the different abilities and challenges and behavioral issues were all basically morphed into one setting for you. Correct. Yeah. That way the classrooms were able to be kept smaller so that they could have more um, one-on-one work. Uh, It was my, depending on what year and the range of students that I had, uh, it was myself and usually a a paraprofessional, um, which is kind of a teaching aid. Um, sometimes there were two, sometimes there were three paraprofessionals in the classroom with me. It really just depended on the needs of the students and the availability of staff. Okay. So can we all just take a collective round of applause for Ben and teachers like him? Because good Lord, I would not have the patience for that. And no offense to the kids because they need it. I understand that. Uh, but I can't even imagine being a teacher with kids that don't need extra attention let alone (laughs) kids that need a lot of extra attention. So cheers to you. Well, thanks. Uh, I actually found that I liked working with those students more. Because it was a smaller classroom, I was able to build better relationships with them. I ranged anywhere from eight to six kids in my class. Um, At one point, I only had two kids in my class, really just dependent on the needs. And the program that I taught in was connected to, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, It's been a couple years since I did teach, but uh, it was a facility where kids with needs would go and stay there. Sometimes it was because their home life was not good. Sometimes it's because, uh, because of their behaviors and because they were dangerous, they couldn't stay at home. And so they could get 
uh, psychological and emotional help and, and coaching and, uh, and help with that. So, uh, that was where the first year that I taught, we were actually on location at that facility. Um, then the school on that facility closed and I went to another school, uh, where most of those same students ended up. All right. Real quick, actually, um, I should have started with this, but I do just want to throw out just because I do know that there are potentially going to be some people that are listening to this that are hearing us say the word ableism that might not understand it straight off. So before Mm. we delve into a whole conversation about this, I just wanted to define it. A very simple definition. Ableism is defined as discrimination or prejudice against individuals with disabilities. And uh, disabilities are wide ranging because we're not just talking about physical, the ones that we can see. We're talking about what you're talking about, Ben, behavioral issues. Mm -hmm. Um, We're talking about learning disabilities, um, a lot of stuff. And I actually, uh, in preparation for this, I found kind of a secondary definition for that. Oh, yay. Let's go. Yeah. So also I found ableism, discrimination in favor of able-bodied people. So not only is it against folks that are differently abled, but it also is in favor of the able-bodied or of the able. And I think that's critical. Yes. It's almost, uh, if, if you think about, um, I don't, just because of what's in the news lately, and I'm sure you guys have been talking about this, but like white supremacy, you know, it's, it's able supremacy almost. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And that's why we did want to talk about it because disabilities as a whole, I think are one of the, I don't want to say one of the last bastions, but close to of civil rights where people still feel pretty comfortable discriminating against people in those categories openly. Mm. So essentially using another term, but favoritism towards, which is what leads to the discrimination. Yeah. That was a secondary uh, definition that I found. I, I thought that was interesting. It kind of puts a different spin on it. Yeah. The one thing that someone taught me that, Really, and and it's interesting when we decided to do ableism is it's not something that's really been in the forefront of my mind ever, to be fair, right? And we talk about different levels of privilege. Well, being an able-bodied person physically, I haven't really ever considered what it would be like to have those challenges until someone gave me the very simple and straightforward example of right-handed versus left-handed. Ooh, yeah. Yeah, super simple. But then I'm telling you, it struck me like immediately because I just recognized immediately how absolutely different the world is for left-handed people. And we call them lefties, right? But how we completely take for granted scissors and we completely take for granted so many things. And for people who are left-handed, a lot of times those things become real challenges. Definitely. Yeah, because we talked, that's actually, I was going to ask about, you know, if any of us have had temporary disabilities, like, um, but that the lefty versus righty, that's, that was making me think too, because that's a really good example that I hadn't thought about it. And it's so simple. And we don't, I mean, obviously it's just left versus right isn't necessarily considered, um, it's not a disability. It's just one or the other, but just using the example of how the world is set up and how things are made. 
Exactly. They're made for right-handed people. And so I, one of the things that, um, that I found interesting also, cause I find myself in these completely random conversations with people all the time, Ben being one of the people I used to build my random <laughs> conversations with. But once years ago, someone brought to my attention the fact that all of the infomercials that we see, I shouldn't say all of them, but a, a, a vast majority of product infomercials were initially built to help people who are f- having some type of disability um, and who wouldn't be able to handle things. And so we see these ads that we just think are ridiculous about people breaking eggs and fumbling over and knocking things over. And we laugh at how ridiculous they are, but really, oh, wow. mm-hmm. but really those things were initially designed uh, to help people who were, you know, unable to grasp them and hold them in a certain way. And without that context, we mock it. But they serve a purpose and they were built for that. And so awesome ingenuity on the designers and engineers who do that. Um, And they still tend to help everyone. But when you have a different frame of reference to appreciate somebody else's challenges, I think it really does help to center your thoughts. And maybe, I don't know, for a moment, consider somebody else and what their challenges may be. Well, and what that makes me think of is, you know, we've all laughed at the life alert commercial. I've fallen and I can't get up. Yeah. Basically is ableism too, though. I mean, I'm a jerk. I've I've said that so many times. Yeah. But we don't think about it. I didn't think about it until just now, Nina, until you were talking about the commercials. Of course. Yeah. We laugh at those, you know? Wow. Yeah. We laugh and, 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 and we laugh at them because ha ha, it's funny, except for now that we're all talking about it, we literally probably all could think of someone, maybe not personal, personal, but I can think of when I was a kid and it was my neighbor who fell and it's, it's literally a life-saving device for someone who, and we know that falls challenge a lot of older people. So mm-hmm. it's, if we didn't have people who forced these considerations upon the rest of us, imagine what those consequences are for those other people. Right. I guess that's why, and just to emphasize, like, why I love having these conversations is because that's where it comes from a lot of times is just having open conversations about topics that we're not necessarily all well versed on, but we have enough experience where we think about things because how did I not think about that? Like my grandpa actually, and he, he joked about it because I think he was so embarrassed and he Mm. was fine. He didn't end up getting hurt, but he had an like old recliner and it went back too far and it went all the way back. And so he went over backwards and then his head got stuck in the, the bookcase and he couldn't get up. So he had, he had a life alert. And so they had to come in and of course, you know, they checked him out and he was fine. And he joked about it, but again, I think he was joking because he was laughing uh, because he was embarrassed by it. Yeah. But I mean, think about that. But it, that is a defense mechanism. You know, it I'm going to make the joke first before somebody else can make the joke. Um, a lot of the kids that were in my classrooms used to make fun of themselves because so that they say the joke first so that somebody else isn't going to say the joke. Right. Be- Higher be- Beat you to the punch. And the reason why they do that is because they've already been conditioned to accept that, for the most part, people are going to be shitty. Yeah. Yeah. I use humor a lot, but I think it's good to acknowledge what what you're saying, Ben, is 
if someone who has a challenge is using it as a defense mechanism, I don't know. I mean, we can say, oh, we're laughing with you, but I don't know if we want to encourage that behavior all the time. A, a lot of times it's not like it's one of the things that they taught us going into special education is that a lot of times the the it seems like the person is making a joke or it seems like they're okay with it because they are joking about it. But like I said before, it's a defense mechanism. It's a diffuser because um, if they can make the joke first and then the topic can go away. And that, uh, like with, uh, for instance, uh, you know, someone with a stutter, um, someone with a speech impediment, if they hear themselves saying something wrong or, or saying something differently, if they can make the joke first, then, you know, it, it takes the sting away from someone else shooting it at them. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's sad because basically now we're dealing with dual issues. So we're dealing with the actual concern itself. And then we're dealing with the psychological, basically, I don't know if I want to say abuse, but basically the psychological blowback of having to, you know, worry about what other people are thinking or how they're dealing with it and things like that, which I know on the show, I've brought it up before, but specifically stuttering is something that I realized I used to uh, make flippant comments about and Mm. I have corrected myself on um, in light of stuttering becoming more prevalent in terms of being an issue. I did work in a cosmetics company where our CEO had a massive stutter and in that environment, everyone was super positive and things like that. And and it was crazy because over time, as we grew bigger, you could see that he did better with his stutter because it wasn't a source of it wasn't a source of um, anxiety, maybe. Yeah. Well, he was accepted. Right. And so he wasn't getting that that negative feedback. But it it certainly can compound an issue, I think. And I think sometimes we really get a chance to see that. And then it's painful for everyone. Yeah. Stuttering is, I haven't been around a whole lot of people that stutter, but I did, I was in a networking group a few years back and there was a guy that was in the group and he, you know, with networking, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but with networking groups, you do the whole, like, you get there in the morning, everyone stands up and does their pitch or whatever. Mm. Um, so you talk for like 60, 30 to 60 seconds. And so obviously when he stood up and talk, he, uh, talked, he had a setter. And there were co- a couple comments that were made. And I remember feeling so angry because I'm just like, he. this guy was actually super brilliant, like fascinating mind because um, because he was in health insurance and I did benefits. A, a different type of benefit. So anyways, so we talked about that stuff a lot and this guy was just brilliant. And I it was it's so frustrating that there was like this catty annoyance, like, oh, now he's going to stand up and talk. Oh, so that's something like, I don't know about you guys, but you can, and I don't know about him either. I never asked him about it, but I can sense when people are like having an annoyance with me. And so I'm sure he at some points can sense when people are annoyed sure. because of that. Yes. And I, and I'll let, you talk to you here in a second, Ben, if you had a personal experience, my personal experience before my CEO is I trained myself to deal with every kind of person. And I think I've mentioned this on the show before through waitressing. I trained myself to to not react. I trained myself to be able to listen super carefully um, to people and to decipher what they've said almost under any circumstance. 
I trained myself to watch my body stance, my, I, you know, and I'm not saying that that made me better. I'm saying that I became acutely aware of my own behavior. And, you know, I wish I could say that I didn't have to be, but I did. And because sometimes there, there is that desire to be like, I'm in a hurry right now and I need to like get, oh, I'm, I'm kind of laughing because so my own disability with, or whatever, my tendency is not to remember anything. Well, weirdly enough, when I was a waitress, I didn't write stuff down. So I would just remember orders. <clears throat> so I had to train myself to not start having basically a panic attack <laughs> when oh. I was dealing with somebody who was, um, who was unable to convey themselves quickly because I would just have to remember it. And because I do have shorter term memory, but I had to just learn how to cope with it, or I was going to have to change, you know, change what I was doing. And most of us don't feel like we should have to change. Right. And so I, I had to adjust myself to recognize that I, it wasn't about me. Yeah, definitely. And that makes me think of a lot of times in the classroom, uh, man, when you're teaching somebody that's taken a long time to get something or, you know, it, it, or to even do something, if it takes them a while to do it, that patience to when, when it'd be so much easier if you just did it yourself, especially in the case of, uh, kids with, uh, disabilities, um, they get a thing called an, an IEP, an individualized education plan. And it's so important to involve not only the parents, but the students themselves in what their goals are and how do they want to achieve those goals and making that plan together. It's so tempting just to, okay, I'm going to come up with a plan and then I'll let you look at it and then we'll sign off on it and then we'll go. But it's so very important to make sure that the, especially when they get older, when they're high school age and even in, in middle school, they need to have a say in that, you know, um, and for them not to have a say in it, it is ableist, right? Just making the decisions for them that's saying, well, they don't know. They, they're not able to make those decisions for kid for people with uh, mental difficulties, you know, just to, it's one thing if you ask them, do you want to be a part of this? And then they decline, they say no, or they refuse. A lot of times they would refuse. But you still have to give them the opportunity to have a voice and to advocate for themselves and to say, this is what I need. This is what I want. Um, that's so important. But it's it's so tempting to just be impatient and just say, well, it's, it's going to be easier. I'll just do it for you. Well, yeah, because if you don't let them, if you keep stepping on them, which is what I would call it when mm. we're, we're not patient enough to allow them to take whatever time they need, then you're causing a whole new set of issues. Absolutely. That are Absolutely. unrelated to, well, I mean, obviously they're related in that they were caused because of that behavior of other people. But yeah, that's a whole whole new set of issues right there. Right. You're taking their agency and their autonomy from them. And yeah. so creating them, uh, creating situations where now they're more dependent um, and they haven't, you know, built their self-reliance muscles. And that makes sense because I, I don't think I've been in a situation where I've had to, but I can see how tempting it would be to do it and think that, and think that you're doing someone a favor when actually what yes. you're, you're clarifying is that you're not, you're doing yeah. a service. Yeah. Because your, your instinct is, well, I'll just help you. You think you're helping. And it's also very surprising how many parents will just 
make the assumption. So you still have to go to the the individual themselves and say, is this what you want? You know, where a lot of times even parents will try to steamroll because it's more convenient if we can just get this meeting out of the way and, you know, we'll just make up this plan for you and it'll be quicker and then we can go home, you know? So even the parents, even the families, it's surprising, you know, there's, it's ableism even in the people that love them the most. It almost implies like what's going on here. We don't have time for it. And so mm. it's it's less important. Mm-hmm. We're not going to take the time for it. Let's just, especially now, everybody, well, I say this, I sound like, I sound like an aged person, aged more than <laughs> I am. Now, now these days, everything's so fast. <laughs> but I mean, it's just- <laughs> <laughs> oh no in this fast-paced society <laughs> i mean it's been like this for a real long time but anyways <laughs> yeah i mean it, it it definitely causes additional issues i was thinking actually uh, on that note real quick before i change the subject i saw a graphic because nina you had shared a graphic with us but then this was a different one where it's um a cartoon type graphic and i think he was in a white coat so i'm pretty maybe it was a doctor talking to someone else and behind him was, you know, someone in a wheelchair, someone with a um, a cane. So the assumption would be a, someone that was blind, just a whole group of people behind him. And the doctor's back was to all these people. And he was talking to the other person saying, what do you think we should do with them? Or what do you think they would like? And then there's bubbles coming out of these people behind him. And it says, we'd like you to ask us, mm. like, talk to us. Yes. Why are you <laughs> like, ask? And that's something that I wouldn't have... I wouldn't have necessarily thought of because I I would consider myself like a doer. So if I saw somebody that I assumed needed help, my instinct would be to go straight over and help them. But that's not necessarily the best way to do it. Maybe they don't want help. So asking is maybe better. Or or maybe they want to uh, struggle through it. Maybe they want to work their way through it. True. I would. I mean... Which is the funny thing. I would go to help somebody, but I, I also am the person that wants to do it myself. Right. Um, yeah. So I wanted to kind of think about this like societally, if we can kind of look at situations that we can pick apart a little bit. So when you go to a hotel or like think about the gas station in schools, public buildings, apartment buildings, things like that, like can you guys think of examples of things that are totally normal to us that might pose a challenge for other people? And I'll actually, I'll start because uh, I live in a building that nobody, that no, it's not wheelchair accessible. I live on the third floor. There's definitely not an elevator or anything like that. Rickety old stairs walking up. Wow. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I mean, no, they're secure. I shouldn't say they're, <laughs> they're, <rickety. laughs> they're just creepy because it's on the outside and it's tall. So, um, for me, that's totally fine. Um, it's an old building, so I'm sure code doesn't force them to do certain things. But if I wasn't able-bodied, or let's say if I was temporarily not able-bodied, like if I broke something, like mm. a leg or an ankle, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd be pretty screwed for a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That Very. would, And that would, it's an easy way to get into the mindset of someone else is to have something unexpected happen. Um, you were asking earlier about examples. Oh God, it was maybe 20 years ago. I actually uh, broke my right wrist and couldn't use it for about six months. And I am right-handed. 
So I had to learn to do everything left-handed. I would, I had to learn to write. I couldn't not work uh, because I was a student at the time. Luckily, we were on summer break for a big chunk of that, but I was working in a theater when it happened and they didn't really have good insurance. Uh, they paid for the hospital and that's about it. Um, so I had to get, I went and got a retail job, but still had to do everything left-handed because suddenly I was any, I was unable to use my dominant hand. And think about if you drove a, I call it a standard. I don't know what you guys call it. Stick yeah, shift. Stick shift yeah. Yeah. Think about if you drove a stick shift yeah. and well, first of all, a broken hand, but also what about someone who loses their hand or oh. not just loses their hand, but loses function. Mm-hmm. So now basically got to get a new car, which is not necessarily in everyone. Well, I shouldn't say not necessarily. It's definitely in not in a lot of people's budgets right. to have to up and change something really quick. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why uh, some of these changes that have come about have been so critical. One of the things that I'm going to recommend our listeners do is that there is a documentary on Netflix called Crip Camp, and it goes through the insane fight. Because when you think about it, guys, the ADA passed in our lifetime. And that's stunning because in a way, I think in my head, I just thought it was always there. And then you watch this documentary, what it was like for people before this and when they put people in institutions, and it is jarring. But now because of working for car companies, now I know that there are there's assistance that they can get, for example, to get their car to work for them. Those things exist now, but before you were just SOL, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so, and you're saying that, and so now we have things like, you know, uh, at my apartment complex now, there's a way for you to get up the curb because before in almost any building or even gosh, a crosswalk, you would, if you had a wheelchair, how would you get across the street even? Yeah. Right. You have a curb. And now I kind of take these things for granted, but watching that, I was like, oh my gosh, like literally almost everything in day-to-day life in terms of functioning with other people is, 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 is defined by that. And, you know, and to find that a lot of times they didn't pass anything because everyone didn't want to spend the money uh, because, and when you say that it's, it's all you also a way of devaluing people because you're not worth it. Right. So you're not worth us putting this effort out to make sure that you're accommodated. Wow. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Yeah, 1990, the ADA was passed. So no, that was it 90? I thought it was at least in the 80s. Nope. ADA, uh, Americans with Disabilities Act of 1990. So, yeah, I was in high school. You guys probably weren't, but I was in high school. Yeah, I was in middle school, but yeah, it's so super fairly recent. recent. Yeah. So I remember learning about it. So I went to um, school for interior design. That's where I started anyways. And so we actually did learn a lot about design as it relates to the ADA um, in terms of the number of handicapped spots you have to have based on building capacity and poles versus knobs for um, like cabinetry and things like that and, and certain handles. And of course, grab bars and all that. So it, this, I'm just going along the lines of the things that I remember. So I will, I will be totally open and say that the one 
thing that I think I learned so much. And so I'm more conscious of that. But what I learned made me heavily associate with an older population Mm. because the designs were like, okay, first floor and ramps. Um, Now ramps, of course, is, is wheelchair as well. But we thought about like grab bars for older populations and I, don't know, I think we miss we miss a lot when we talk about disability. We miss a lot because if it's not directly in our face, we almost don't want to admit it. Well, it's of no consequence to us, so we don't think about it. You know, in our last episode, we were talking about as you know Heather and I, as females, were talking about things that we didn't notice because it didn't matter to us. And so, you know, and not saying that in a cold or a flippant way. Mm-hmm. but we didn't, it, it was of no consequence. And so when it's of no consequence, then it's really important that, I mean, that's, I guess that's what the whole concept of advocation is, right? Definitely. For sure. Can you guys think of any other examples um, of like public spaces that might be different for someone with a disability versus us? Can I, can I say something that drives me crazy? Uh-huh. is people that use the button for the handicap door, the automatic door open and when they don't need to. Yes. Drives me crazy. <laughs> so I might be one of those people who does it. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about this show is we've decided to always tell the truth. Okay. You have been uncloaked. Uh-oh. <laughs> but sometimes we don't share everything, so I don't always share everything. But Sure. But so do, that's, have that's I done it? something to think about. Yes. I will say that sometimes I do it as an Iowa nice thing, though. Sometimes I'm like, if I click this button, I know there's people coming after me, then they don't have to open the doors for themselves. So and that's then, usually kind of when I've done it. Or is it because then I don't have to stand there and hold the door open? Both. <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, yeah. 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 At this point, there there could be... I mean, I'm I'm just like trying to stick up for you, Nina. At this point, there could be an argument for foot pushing so that you don't have to touch the surface. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, except yeah. that a lot of people can't uh, <laughs> uh, use their feet. So here's the other thing, actually, totally on oh, par with what we're talking. I, I was going to say one because I, I did get into a brawl on my Facebook wall. Um, about I love it this. when you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Popcorn. Yeah, but they were mad at me this time. And so, oh. and now we're having this discussion. So once again, full disclosure, and, and I didn't back down either. So this is one of those times where I'm like, the audience may hate me. But it was about bathrooms and about able-bodied people using handicapped oh. stalls. And do I do it? Sometimes I do. Mm. And um, there's so... I will say that sometimes I do it when I don't do it when there's a line. Like that's because that was one of the things I say. If there's like, well, okay, actually, I'm kind of lying when I say that. <laughs> it's all coming out right now. I know everything is coming out. <laughs> it's just the truth. Well, I was going to say when there's gigantic lines, I think everybody uses every stall available. I, you know, yeah. um, right. So I think that's what happens. But, um, but, but I was going to say when it's not like one of those gigantic lines, then I think t- people tend to leave the the uh, handicap stall open. But I do it because I've got like this weird thing about not having people in the stall right next to me. And it's just like one of my effing things that I have. So I don't like it. I don't know why. It's like, I mean, you could say it's claustrophobia, but that doesn't quite make sense. Um, And so there's been times when I've used it and 
man, did I start a war on my wall once when I said that. Yeah. And I am sitting here talking to you guys about it and trying to decide uh, how bad I should feel about it. I and have, I, yeah, go I ahead. have a really hard time with people trying to be the police about this stuff. And that's probably, I figure out a better word for that, but because, or gatekeeper, or police, whatever, because you don't always know. So I actually, this is popped into mind when you said that there was a video. I saw it a long time ago. I don't remember where it was. Just a short clip video. And it was a girl. She was a young girl, super young looking. And she had pulled in to a handicap spot and she hadn't put her plaque up yet. And so this car next to that, her started yelling at her oh. that she wasn't allowed to park there. And she's blah, blah, blah. And da, da, da. And she's like, I have no legs. I don't have legs. Wow. And she put her placard up. But I think that's you just because when we're talking about the fact that if it's in your face, okay, we can acknowledge it. Right. But we don't always know. You don't always know if somebody has like mm-hmm. if their back is is spasming. Well, yeah. maybe, maybe you can. <laughs> I don't know. People have a high. You know what? If someone's having a panic attack and they just need a place with some room with some space, but they need to be by themselves. Yeah. I go into the, the handicap bathroom. I'd say that's a good place for it, but yeah. So I, you're right. Cause it's, you just don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a, it's hard line because there are definitely people that take advantage of that things like that and screw them, but you don't always know. So who's, who gets to be the decision on that? Yeah. But- and that, Oh, go ahead, Ben. Uh, I was just going to say, Nina, thank you for your honesty on that. I think I think everybody at least once has used that stall when it was not appropriate for them to do so. You know, and we all have to examine when we do those things. And you know what? I gave you crap about uh, hitting the button to open the door. I've done it too. You know, I've had my hands full, and so I, you know, bumped it and and used it not because I was not able to open the door, but just because it was more convenient. So you know. I think we've all, but the key is when, when you do something like that, if you can think about it, when you, when it does get called to your attention, hopefully in a kind way to think about it and try to do better, you know? Amen. I agree with that. And I think just to play the other side Mm -hmm. or maybe another side, because I think there's a lot of them, a lot of people will say what what is me using that push button harming is it going to stop working if too many people use it that's a question that i i don't know if i have the answer to i don't know if yeah. it is harming anybody i think i think sometimes it's a respect level so what i've seen that ben might be referring to i've seen people use it like a toy right mm. well it's definitely not a toy and i think for the bathroom stall i it's not something that I ever considered until recently when I heard someone having a conversation. It wasn't your conversation, and I, I missed that fight. <laughs> <laughs> but right. it, it, I didn't, I never thought about it because I'm like, well, if nobody else is in here, what does it matter? But the whole point is, you don't know when someone is going to come in and what situation they're going to be in. And if you're, you know, so I, so I can kind of get that one. But again, there are some things, and I, I definitely get the handicapped parking spot one, but there are some things that are harder. To, but maybe it's just a matter of what you said, just your respect and acknowledgement. Yeah. I think, yeah. 
I think that goes so far. I mean, I think it goes so far, just those two things, respect and acknowledgement. And, you know, it, having a friend circle and, and Ben being part of that, because we've been friends for, for two decades now. Yeah. Yeah, so old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, but for, for, I, I think what's been really nice in my life experience is I, I have been friends with people who really like to challenge me and challenge my beliefs. And I can be a stickler for them, but I will say I've broadened my horizons a lot. Um, because even all of the things that, you know, we've discussed today, someone else had to bring them to my attention. Mm. And they did so in a way that I do feel was kind or, you know, maybe not like nice, nice, but that was just like, hey, I need you to think about this. And then yeah. you're like, oh, OK, that there is some real value in what you've said. And now I need to take a moment to, like, dismantle that for myself and see what role in any kind of um subjugation or dismissal dismissiveness i like to make up words but what you know as an oppressive person because what i will say is during this podcast we've talked a lot about my experience as a you know um an african-american in iowa and how that's been traumatic but when i was watching that crip camp i will say what i did think about i thought about the fact that i always got picked almost last for everything all the time that was the mm. thing Mm. However, the one times oh. I wasn't picked last, it was is, someone. Yes, with disabilities, with with, with strong disabilities, wow. because black did beat that. <laughs> oh my <laughs> so, god! Wow. That's yeah. so. And think about that as a kid. That's because I'm now. I'm thinking. I yep, yep. Damn. And then, do I want to sit here and pretend that when it was my turn to pick, I didn't execute that way? I would be lying to you if I told you otherwise. Sure. Wow. What is something that you didn't realize that you learned through knowing somebody who had a disability? I think one of the things that I struggled with as um, a special education teacher was walking that fine line of not, I don't want to, over-encouraging is the wrong phrase, but keeping in mind capabilities without discouraging does that so so pushing enough for them to grow but not enough to discourage discourage yeah okay that, that's that, hard that was a real challenge wow. um i had one student that she wanted to be she wanted to uh what do they call it a nurse in the delivering room okay and she was in high school her reading level was at maybe fourth grade and she was slowly improving on it. But the way that I approached it was I approached it in from the angle of, I want you definitely to go for this. I love that this is your goal. Here's what you're going to have to be able to do in order to achieve that goal. We can start working on that now. You're going to have to go to college at least a, a, a vocational school, you're going to have to pass certifications. You're going to have to be licensed. You know, so these are things you're probably going to have to do math. You're probably going to have to be pretty good with math. You're going to have to be able to read stuff. So um, managing those expectations, but then providing 
the best that you can providing the path so that they can achieve that goal. That was the only way that I could. uh, Basically, you had to not be a dream killer, still provide motivation so that there is an aspiration there, but without being like basically pie in the sky. Yeah. I feel like that's really important because at the end of the day, I mean, you guys know who Amy Purdy is? Maybe not. Okay. No. She's a (laughs) professional snowboarder. And okay. she lost um, both of her legs, um, and she was also on Dancing with the Snars. So the whole point is, she lost both of her legs. I think she, I think it was meningitis okay. when she was a teenager. Wow! And she is a professional snowboarder, right? And I did she win on Dancing with the Stars, or did she? I, I'm just assuming everyone knows what Dancing with the Stars is, but hi, right. dancing. It's a dancing competition. Yeah. And yeah. you you don't have two of your legs are not there. So uh, there. If nothing achieve, else, she did really well, even if she didn't win. Right. So yeah. people can achieve some amazing things. So I think it is really important what you did is to keep that, to allow that dream to live because you don't know what she's going to do or what she's not going to do, but also just providing the list of steps and the steps are going to be the same for everybody. And I Mm -hmm. think the challenge is, Mm -hmm. is that mentally, you know, that it's going to be hard for you. So when you look at somebody, you're like, it's, we're making this assumption that if it's going to be hard for me, there's no way they can do it. Sure. But maybe they're stronger than us. I mean, we just don't know. Yeah. Because Will, Will, Will does take people, I mean, a long way. Yeah. Um, Not me, but. (laughs) (laughs) No, wait though. Who's Will? Is it, is that somebody else who was on the podcast? I know. He's got a good car. Is that Will will take you? Will's got to have a good car. Oh, um, (laughs) I was like, wait, what? Now I'm confused. Yeah, I'm, I'm caught up. I'm caught oh, up. I used to be a manizer in my youth, but um, <laughs> oh heavens! Oh yeah, but I grew out of that. But yeah. um, but yeah, you're you're right though, because so but aspiration has to be guided, and so as long as that you know that took place, because what most educators would do, and this is, goes for um, people who have disabilities, and just for people period is most people will be like, you don't really have a shot of that. Right. So you should not focus on that because you know, you're, you're wasting your time and your energy and you need to do something else. And I think we do a lot of dream killing in general and, you know, you can call it a crabs in the bucket mentality. You can call it like whatever, but um, I I think it's so great that you were able to cultivate that because I don't really know. I, I always used to joke that if I ever did have kids, like none of them would ever be Olympic athletes because I'm just not a pusher. Like I <laughs> don't, I just don't. I, you know, I'm just kind of like do whatever, but it's really important that you do have those people in your life that kind of help manifest that spirit. And we look at a lot of people like Heather mentioned who really have done incredible things because they had people who believed in them and who provided pathways and access. And Mm -hmm. so being advocates is probably one of the greatest things that we can do for anybody, but especially for the people that we marginalize in our society. So I just, um, to close it out, I was going to see what you guys thought about ways that we might be able to take more action on our own or ways that we can be more helpful and supportive. And I made up my own acronym in the meantime. Ooh. A-I-A. I literally just made this up. Actually, it probably already exists. I'm just <laughs> giving myself credit. No, literally. 
<laughs> We're so excited. I want to hear it. So ask, include, and accommodate. I like that. So we're making assumptions and not asking. Sometimes we exclude because we're already making assumptions that they don't want to be included or can't be included. Mm -hmm. And we're so worried about putting ourselves out that we're not as accommodating as we could or should be. Yeah. So that's mine. Did you guys create an acronym of your own while you were sitting here? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I no feel pressure. like maybe that my brain doesn't work like that. <laughs> well, I, as a former teacher, as someone that works in the aerospace industry now, and uh, someone that used to work for uh, an insurance company with a lizard that I'm so sick of acronyms. So no, I'm not going to. <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> I did find this, though, um, on a, a website. It says Ableism 101. The website is accessliving.org. Um, it's got some really cool stuff on there. Uh, but uh, what can we do to recognize and avert ableism? Uh, believe people when they disclose a disability. Similarly, don't accuse people of faking their disability. Listen to people when they request an accommodation. Don't assume you know what someone needs. Never touch a person with a disability or their mobility equipment without consent. Keep invasive questions to yourself. Don't speak on behalf of someone with a disability unless they explicitly ask you to. Okay, so those last two, I would be the worst culprit of. Yeah. those. That's a great list. It really is. We'll Thank link you. that. You said it was... Um... I'll send you the link. Uh, accessliving.org. Okay, we'll put it in the show notes. So I'm going to have a quick addendum to those pieces before I forget because of my ah, short term. Yeah. So that includes don't touch people's service dogs. Oh, yeah. Don't touch people's dogs. So I, sorry, got to get that out. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've done a lot of conversation today and through the month, we'll kind of cover a lot of different areas of um, people who have different issues with ableism. But along with that list, he... Ben was just going over. It's really important because we also don't really talk about people who have, for example, Lyme disease or headaches, chronic headaches, or mm. like Heather mentioned before, back pain, things that are life altering that you cannot see and that don't, aren't necessarily, they may be chronic, but they may not necessarily be something that is active all of the time, like a paraplegic. Sure. And that those things are equally devastating for people and that they deal with uh, a lot of criticism and or disbelief. And I will say that we used to work in an environment where are there people that abuse the system? Yes, there always Absolutely. is. Yeah, it's kind of just like anything else that, you know, people are always worried about, like the handler on the street or, uh, you know, welfare queens or whatever. There's always people that abuse the system. But it is not upon us to take the few people that abuse the system and then to encompass everybody into that category right? and then use that as an excuse to behave how we want to. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> you say things way better than I like. She just can. She just weaves words together brilliantly. She, she and I'm like, uh, <laughs> what was the word I was going to say? <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we have it on recording yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the perfect thing about recording conversations uh, on that same website going back to that though 
there's also a list of the everyday minor ableisms, uh, like framing disability as either tragic or inspirational in news stories, movies, and other popular forms of media. That's considered ableism. Like, oh my God. So this is really, really subtle. So I yeah. think what you're, yeah. Oh my gosh. So you wouldn't even think about that because then if we, do, when we do that, we're program, programming ourselves to think that everyone with, with a disability is either inspiring or tragic. Damn. Yeah. There's a, a great list on that website and I'll shoot you the, the link to it. Um, that like, uh, talking to a person with a disability, like they're a child uh-huh. talking about them instead of directly to them or speaking for them. Like, yeah. Yeah. And a lot of it makes perfect sense and it's logical. But then when we get in situations where I don't know if it's that we're uncomfortable or unfamiliar, we, first of all, behave badly because we're not prepared. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Or second of all, the other example that you gave, situations that we don't even think of, the less obvious. Yeah. Something else to think about is things that affect the mind like ADHD. Yeah, I'm in a relationship with someone that really struggles with that. And it takes patience. And, you know, you really have to, it is something that can be a hindrance. You know, depression, the same thing. You know, so many things. What I had told Heather is because of the awareness of it and because of because of having this podcast, it does make you confront different parts of your personality. Because when mm. you're being authentic and you're being real... Yeah, you have to. I mean, not that everyone does it, right? Every some people compartmentalize, but I, it's very important for us to be real people, and because otherwise, it, it just wouldn't work with our, our personality styles. Yeah. But when you have all these conversations, you know, when you're recording, it doesn't just end there. Your mind's still working, and so on the back end, you you go back through and you start reexamining things, and start trying to figure out how you can be better, and. Or what other people's challenges are. And so for for the the mental thing and the depression and things like that, I have really struggled with relating to other people. But now I've spent the time to start to do the homework, like to start to do the work to understand what it looks like, how it can present, that other people are having it, that it's not just me and that you're not alone. And Heather had sent me a, a quick video that somebody made of how over the years we have evolved as human beings and that a lot of these characteristics are looked upon poorly now, but at some point they were logistically and literally required for our survival of humanity. So it's basically like the ADHD thing, like needing, like, not being able to hold your attention on one thing because you always had to be aware of everything around you. And we look at that as a bad thing now. We look at distractions as a bad thing. But what the guy was saying, he's like, we literally needed to know everything that was going uh, along. Like we couldn't ignore a distraction because that distraction could be a wild animal that was going to kill us. Like humanity as we developed. Or something we might be able to eat or or, or or that. Yeah. Why do you guys think... People, because as I'm thinking about this, so you brought up the autism thing, Nina, and as I'm thinking about it, I'm like, okay, also, if we're talking about the things that we don't necessarily see, like if it's on a a lower scale, anxiety is debilitating. Oh, yeah. Agoraphobia. So like the fear of leaving your house, Mm. I would just be like, bro, just open the door, step on out. Like, Mm -hmm. 
obviously I know that like once you know that that's not appropriate, but why do you think that we as people who are as a general rule are able in most ways and maybe generally society is so why do we take it so personally when we're asked to acknowledge stuff like that? Because it's so easy to dismiss other people. I think first of all, we have a tendency to want to inflate our sense of self and and I mean, we're egocentric beings, which we can't fault anyone for in and of itself, because that's a part of self-preservation. And I think to some degree, that's part of the evolutionary process. But now that we are in, because, you know, we're, I was just mentioning evolutionary process, but now that we're in a, at least in this country, in a relative position of safety and security, some of that stuff is still not brought out, right? So there's competition for resources or competition for status, things like that, that at some level was required to build, you know, society and a civilization. And I, I think to some degree, it still exists in the hierarchy. So I don't know if we can breed it out. I don't know if we can, you know, Star Trek ourselves into like equal everything. But I do think that with a higher sense of purpose, we can do a better job of normalizing people and things and not feeling so threatened. Because as you know, Ben, ben mentioned before, or you too, Heather, about threats, we are still perceiving other as threats. And so if we diminish and, you know, marginalize them, then we somehow still, you know, retain our position of, of being worthy. Yeah. And I was going to, I like the, the view that you took on it, it, it is an instinctual thing of the inflated self and, and uh, self-importance. But I would also say that, and you kind of just touched on this, but it's another instinctual thing to want to be around things that are like you. So if someone has, if someone is differently abled, that makes you feel weird because they're not like you. If they act differently, if they look different, if they, it, it that's, that's really the, it's racism as well. You know, yeah. that's at the root of it. The things that are different from us, we fear instinctually. You know, I think it also, I think Nina, you said egocentric and I think that's got to be a big part of it too, because we're so, ah, I think the accommodating thing is we're just like, why well, I, I can't handle your stuff. What about my stuff? Like, what about my uh, struggles? Sure. Like, what about me? Like, if I'm giving you all this attention for needing what you need, what about my needs? It's rather than just acknowledging that you're still your needs are still valid. They're just different. And right now you can help someone else. And that that again ties to the, you know, gay rights, LGBTQ rights, um, civil rights for women and civil like by making everyone equal, you're not taking anything away from you. Like you're not losing anything by helping others. But I think it is part of that instinctual mentality of if I give something to someone else, then I'm going to lose something. Right. Like, yeah. what, what is with that? By the way, for me. I really like that you just said, can we breed it out and Star Trek in the same? <laughs> I got. I have to like point out that you said that because I was on mute, but I was busting up laughing. I was like, she just said what? She just said what? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, but it's true. I mean, both both of your points are so salient and I'm I'm sitting here kind of considering them. And I'm like, well, when we start to think about the animal kingdom, you know, uh, we can talk about ants, we can talk about, um, you know, or just even inside the same species, 
species do tend to eliminate yeah. things. Yeah. <laughs> so I hate saying it right, but yeah. A wolf pack. Yeah. It, it, uh, things that are seen as lesser in nature, they, the instinct is to eliminate them. Um, you know, an albino animal in the wild is probably going to get killed by its parents, a, a weaker animal, you know, the runt of the litter, but that's, we're not animals. That's the thing. We're not animals. We, we have a higher evolved consciousness. We need to think through it. Consciousness and empathy. Isn't, isn't yes. empathy like the biggest distinguishing factor between us and yes, just wild animals? It should be. Although it seems like animals sometimes have more empathy and that's the scary Oh, that's part. true. Sadly, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Wow. We're just like all like, wow. <laughs> We well, now that we're pod. thinking about ourselves in comparison <laughs> to animals, I think we're all getting a little bit depressed. <laughs> but it, but it is true. So I think. So you know what? And kind of all what we're saying is that we ha- give ourselves permission to understand that some of this is instinctual and some of this is like built into our DNA, and then also recognize that we have the capacity to think. We have the capacity to like break things down, reevaluate them. And change. Yeah, that's important. And that's, I mean, that's also what we were talking about earlier is when you do make that mistake of, <laughs> it's sorry to pick on you, Nina, but going into the, the bigger stall just because you want the room and, you know, but think about it the next time you do it and say, did I really need to? Did I have to? Was there maybe, you know, some another choice I could have made and learn from it and grow from it? Right. Because it, because once again, it can't always be about me as much as I would like it to be. And because, <laughs> right. Yeah. And because society doesn't function that way overall, because if, if everyone did that, then, you know, we wouldn't make any progress. And, you know, and, and, and I guess kind of going back to what we said before, all the devices and things like that, that help everyone. So taking the time to, to, to consider other people and what works for them in the long haul benefits us all. And so if you want to be purely selfish about it, it just, it's a long view, but it's still, it's still true. Yeah, we need to. So we talk a a lot about bias too. Like, and when when we talk about instincts, you know, some of our when we're react because we don't always know it's a bias. So sometimes when we're reacting to something automatically, sometimes the instinct is right. But the the point would be to ask yourself why you're reacting like that. Like, why do you feel like you're putting yourself out just because you have to accommodate someone that's literally not really taking any extra energy, but you're pretending it does? Like, why do you feel like that? Right. So maybe if we start asking ourselves more of why we're bothered so much because Ben I think you're so right like when you talked about the correlation between LGBTQ and racism and all of this stuff that we're somehow inconvenienced by but but how Whew. there was a lot in this one we literally could have kept talking for a very, very, very long time. We know we miss a lot um, in terms of talking about disabilities and ableism. There, There is a, a wide array of things um, that we haven't touched on. So we'd love for you to join the new Facebook group and drop your info there. Start the conversation with us and the other members so that we can have more in-depth conversations. Thank you for listening today. Our goal is to inspire you to think more deeply. And we hope today's conversation did just that. This week, we are asking you to consider the ways 
that you can be more accepting, inclusive, and accommodating to people who have different needs than you do. Acceptance, acknowledgement, and respect are really big pieces to this. As a reminder, the thoughts and opinions expressed on today's episode are our own. We encourage you to do your own research, come to your own fact-based conclusions. If you would like to be a guest on our show, or if you have a topic you would like us to discuss, please reach out by email, info at diversityonfire.com, or leave us a voice note. The link for that can be found in the show notes. Connect with us on social media, and again, join our brand new Facebook group so you can keep the conversation going with us there, Diversity on Fire group. If you are enjoying the episodes, we would very much appreciate a five-star review and comment on Apple Podcast. It does help more people find the show. Don't forget to hit subscribe wherever you're listening now so you never miss an episode. And please share the show with everyone you know so more people can join in these important conversations. 